You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Amen. It is a blessing to be here with you on Celebration Sunday. Amen. Amen. You can cheer for that. You can cheer for that. Amen. Amen. Uh, I go by Ant. I serve, I serve as the pastor at Midtown Two Notch. Once again, very glad to be here uh, with you. Just wanted to set up our time today. Uh, at the beginning of this year, uh, as a family of churches here at downtown and also at Two Notch and Lexington, we, we set it as a focus as we began our series on the book of Acts. And we're going to focus on what it looks like for us to live out this new identity that we have as witnesses for Christ. That he has called us to bear witness for him. And so we've been going through the book of Acts and looking to be trained up and what it looks like to live into that new identity that we have. And the truth be told, even though that's been an emphasis for us this year, that's what we've always been about as a family of churches. In fact, that's why, that's why we have become a family of churches in the first place, because we, we come to believe that we can be more effective as his witnesses by planting local churches here in the Columbia area and out in Lexington as well, where we, where we share things like resources and ideas, and we can partner together to serve our city through our Serve the City partners and Serve the City initiatives. We just came to believe that we can be more effective as spirit-empowered witnesses if we are able to plant local churches here in the Columbia area. And that leads us to where we are today where we get to come together and celebrate what God has been doing as he has been using us as his witnesses here in our city. The fact that we're here today and we'll be celebrating the baptism of those who get in this pool is proof of the fact that Jesus Christ does use us, that he has empowered us with his spirit, and that he is still changing lives and making disciples even today. Even today. So it's a blessing what you're going to find, what you're going to see today. You're going to see people get in this pool, and you're also going to see their videos come up on the screen of just their testimony. And you're going to hear people sharing what their life was like before Jesus, how they came to meet Jesus, and what their life is like now that they have met Jesus. And as we're doing that, I have two requests of you today, two requests and really two prayers for us today. The first one is that we will be encouraged and inspired by the testimonies that we hear, by the videos that we watch. Because one thing that I know about living as a witness of Christ is that it can be challenged and we, we deal with our own apathy. We deal with the busyness of our lives. There are many challenges that we have, but I, my prayer is that as we see that God truly is using us, that we'll be encouraged and inspired to continue to live as the witnesses that he has made us into. And the second thing that I would love to encourage us to do today, I just want to read real quick from uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 10. Jesus says, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus is saying that heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. That heaven rejoices when people turn away from sin and turn to God and have been transformed by his death and his resurrection. And we're going to hear story after story today. Here's what I request of you. Just so you know how to behave in a worship gathering like this one. Just so you're clear on what your behavior should be like. I don't know what your normal level of energy and celebration is at a worship gathering like this one. I'm just going to need you to take it up a few notches. I'm just going to need you to take it up a little bit. As we join heaven in celebrating lives that have been brought from death to life, I'm going to ask you to celebrate and cheer and sing and put your hands in the air and whatever that looks like for you as we continue celebrating God's goodness, 
and what we are seeing him do across our entire family of churches. So family, pray with me and then we'll continue to sing together. Father, we thank you for this day that we have together. We thank you for the reason that we come here to celebrate, that you have been changing lives, that you have changed us, made us into your witnesses, and you truly use us and empower us through your spirit to bear witness and testify to your goodness. So, Father, we are thankful for every person that's getting in the pool today. Thank you for everything that you've done in their lives, what you'll continue to do. Father, would you continue to keep them, continue to strengthen them, and bless them with endurance as they run this race in you. Father, thank you for this reason that we have to celebrate. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Y'all keep singing with us. Yeah. Are we having fun now, you guys? Right. I'm Brandon. I'm one of the pastors there at Lexington Church. Uh, so glad to be here. And when I hear uh, baptisms and hear people's stories, I, I get reminded of the famous story Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15 about the lost sheep. And it's actually the context of the verse that Aunt mentioned earlier. Starting in verse 3 of Luke 15, it says this. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. I'll be honest with you guys, when I was younger, this story confused me a great deal. I, having never led a group of 100 sheep through a Judean wilderness before, imagined a man doing something like herding cats, except they're cuter and fluffier. And then somehow he realizes that one is lost because 99 sure looks like 100, right? Pretty close. And then the shepherd does something that seems irrational. He leaves the 99 sheep that were still alive and safe and not eaten by wolves to go get the one. And younger me in middle and high school, I was happy for the one that was found. Don't get me wrong, you guys. But I was worried about the other 99 that got left behind. I was like, but what happened to them? How many of them are lost or dead or hurt now? This story always produced a bit of anxiety in me. Like, youth pastor, please don't tell this story. I'm going to worry about those other sheep all night long. I knew I was supposed to cheer for the one, but I felt for the others who seemingly became wolf bait. And I would never instruct Jesus, okay? But 99, one, 99, one? It turns out that when you study the scriptures and the culture and the context, a lot of things like this get cleared up, you guys. Because Jesus' original hearers likely would have understood that with a group of 100 sheep, there would have been more than one shepherd. I was so relieved when I found this out, you guys. All of those lost, mangled sheep were restored to me. And properly understood, the emotional weight of the story comes from the fact that a single shepherd left the safety of the group to pursue the one who was lost in a place where you don't want to be by yourself. As Gary Burge writes, locating a lost sheep alone, the shepherd assumes considerable risk. The Judean wilderness was a hostile place, known for predators, robbers, and severe terrain, rocky and irregular with deep valleys. To climb out alone is hard. To climb out with a 50-pound sheep on your back is extreme. 
So it's not that the shepherd was careless or reckless with the others. It's just that he risked his own safety and well-being for the lost sheep. Amen? He offered up his own life for the life of the sheep. The picture is a hero shepherd braving dangerous terrain to find a lost or injured sheep, then laying it on his shoulders and climbing out of whatever dangerous valley or crag it had gotten into. And this too is an irrational act because 99 is almost as good as 100 if you ask me, especially if my safety is on the line. But man, do you know who must have been most grateful for that shepherd's irrational act? That sheep. The one who might have been barely missed in a group of so many. The one hurt crying in the wilderness with no one to hear its cries except the distant predators. If you are a Christian in the room today, I have news for you. You were that sheep. All of us were. And how easily could you have been missed? Someone makes a different decision and doesn't strike up a relationship with you, doesn't invite you to life group. Your grandfather sleeps in on a routine Sunday morning and doesn't go to a church service. The coworker your mom works beside doesn't strike up a conversation with her and lead her to faith in Christ. Fill in the blanks with whatever the situation is for you. How easy might it have been for you to have been missed? Personally, I'm beyond grateful that somehow, some way a boy was born into a family in the upstate of South Carolina, into a family much in need of Jesus and far from him. And something told that boy's mother and grandmother that they needed to take him to church. And I'm glad that over time they decided to drive to a little country church week in and week out. And I won't say that church got everything right, but a little boy was introduced to Jesus and baptized in this amazing hidden pool stuck in the back wall that appeared like magic somehow. Because that little boy was me. And I'm glad that over time I learned that Jesus is one who cares about lost sheep, who gave his very life for each and every one that he hoists onto his shoulder. And I'm thankful that Jesus told a group of people to move to Columbia to start a church, amen? Because I've seen so many lost and hurting sheep be brought into our churches, carried in on a strong back, one mighty enough to save. So what does this story tell us? What parting image does it leave us with? Verse five. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. The arguably irrational shepherd who risks himself to go after a sheep that probably wouldn't have otherwise been missed doesn't grumpily grab the sheep and trudge back to the group. He rejoices. There's a deep happiness inside of him that his sheep is now found, no longer alone, no longer lost, no longer in danger. This makes endangering himself worth it. The sheep is found and his joy is so deep that he calls his friends and neighbors in for a party. So family, friends, 
and neighbors. This is the context for all of our hooping and hollering this morning as people share their stories of how Jesus came for them, found them, endangered himself for them. We understand from Christ himself that the appropriate reaction is nothing short of rejoicing. So let's continue to do so. And when we leave today, let's pray that Jesus would continue to use us as he tracks down lost sheep all over our city.